for a, for a society, for a global society that hardly moves at all, we move everything else. Like we figured out a way to sit still while moving every other thing around on the planet to us, but not like, not in a way that makes sense. Not even we'll yeah. bring you what's by you. No, we're going to bring you what's on the other side of the planet yeah. because you want it three times a day. You know, oh, you want it, oh, you want it 40 times a week? Great, no problem. We will, we will move that thing from the other side of the planet over to you because that's your preference. Hey, loved ones, welcome to Naked Conversations, a space for you and I to meditate, strategize, and dream of the tools needed to transform into radical selves. I'm your host, Martisa Williams, free being, radical wayshore, and liberation doula. My purpose is to support the collective on our journey to deeper joy, sweeter justice, and fulfilling presence. So are you ready to step into your most liberated life yet? Let's get to it. year, it has become abundantly clear that our world and our communities are in desperate need of some healing. Between the state-sanctioned murders of dozens of Black and Brown folks, to climate catastrophe, to the war on folks with uteruses, and all manner of international nightmares, the way we've always done things is killing us. And in the wake of all of this, many of us have felt hopeless and confused. We sign petitions and donate money and post on Instagram, but that honestly just doesn't feel like enough. For years, I have held the belief that transformed people transform the world. The work of freedom and liberation must be done both from the political side and from the shifting of the individual's heart. And for many years, I've been playing with methods of doing this for myself working on how to unlearn the oppression that I grew up in, how to stop perpetuating that oppression in the world around me. And out of that inquiry and experimentation came the toolbox. So the toolbox is an annual membership packed with the tools I've used to make anti-oppression a daily practice. With the 12 month membership, you get unlimited access to all of my embodied liberation workshops, presence practices, group coaching, and more. Pre-sale of the membership starts now. And when you sign up between now and December 31st, you'll receive a free 30-minute one-on-one coaching session with me, regular group coaching calls exclusively for founding members, a free month when you refer a friend, and access to offer direct feedback on the membership as it grows. In an effort to create accessibility, I'm providing this membership with sliding scale pricing. So you can choose a price that is accessible for you for as low as $39 a month. This is a huge, huge part of my life's work and I am so excited to share with you. For more information or to become a founding member, click the link in the show notes or go to letsgetnaked.com slash the toolbox.
happy podcast day, dear ones. Welcome back to another episode of Naked Conversations. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of talking with best-selling author, speaker, and leader in the movement, movement, uh, biomechanist, Katie Bowman, who has been changing the way that we think about our need for movement for quite a while now. Her nine books, including the groundbreaking Move Your DNA and her newest Grow Wild, have been translated into more than a dozen languages worldwide. Bowman teaches movement globally and speaks about sedentarism and movement ecology to academic and scientific audiences. Her work has been featured in diverse media, such as the Today Show, CBC Radio, the Seattle Times, and Good Housekeeping. She's one of Maria Shriver's Architects of Change and an America Walks Woman of the Walking Movement. Katie has worked with companies like Patagonia, Nike, and Google, as well as a wide range of nonprofits and other communities sharing her Move More, Move More Body Parts, and Move More for What You Need message. Her movement education company, Nutritious Movement, is based in Washington State, where she lives with her family. I was so excited to have Katie on, and we had the amazing opportunity to talk about how curiosity and uncertainty shaped who Katie is, Katie's education and route to understanding nutritious movement, what sedentary culture is, and defining movement in general, because many of us define it differently, movement as nutrition. That's probably maybe the first time you've heard that. And so we get into that a little bit. And we talk a lot about privilege, labor, and movement throughout the conversation. We also talk about isolation and community and social media, ways to bring more movement into your life, and the cost that we are paying for an quote-unquote efficient community in society. This conversation is amazing. It's juicy. We talk everything from how to move, but we also talk about the social impact of movement and who gets to move and who doesn't and what that means around privilege. And I'm so blessed to be able to have this conversation with Katie and I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for asking. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. But before we get into all the reasons why, I want to ask you this question I ask all my guests, and that's what made you you? Oh, <laughs> does everyone pause when you ask them that? It's such a I complicated always... question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, um, what makes me me? Um, curiosity and uncertainty. Mm, I love that. Talk more about that, like how and why. I'm not sure where the curiosity comes from. I think it starts in all of us. And for whatever reason, it never left. I mean, I've worked with enough children now to see that maybe it's inherent and through cultural conditioning, it maybe goes away. Um, 
So maybe there's a little bit of a belligerence in me as well, <laughs> where, where, or, or maybe um, my mom used to always say, you like to learn everything the hard way. And maybe a different way of phrasing that would be, you don't take what anyone says as your truth. You have to find your own truth experientially. Um, and so maybe that, maybe the words that I'm choosing are all tangled up in whatever that is. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's there and I'm endlessly curious. And I would say I'm, I struggle with, I, I would say that I struggle with uncertainty. Like a lot of people feel really certain about a lot of things that they think and believe where I feel um, the opposite. I, I feel like there are, there's information always coming at me and that my understanding of things are constantly in flux. I rarely um, oscillate mm. or, you know, I'm not swinging back and forth between, is it this, you know, like I used to believe this and now I believe this. It's more like um, in, instead of swinging so far back and forth, it sort of gets smaller and I, I hone in in a direction, but I'm very flexible, psychologically flexible in that when I get a new understanding, pivoting is not challenging for me. So that's also like, that's, that's what makes me, me. Thank you for asking. I've never thought about that really. Yeah, of course. No, it's such a wonderful answer. And I feel like it makes so much sense. It's so interesting when you have an author or somebody whose work you really admire and you like kind of dive into them. It feels like, and I've like listened to your podcast and so many <laughs> of you. your, your things. <laughs> and it's so funny because I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense from what I've gotten from your work in all mm -hmm. the different vari variations of I've engaged in your work. Um, that makes a lot of sense, especially it's funny because I feel like um, the connection between having a nimble and flexible body, having a body that can, you know, move in the ways um, that is like healthy and ancestral by an ableist framework, I guess, is how I'm, I'm mm -hmm. speaking to this. Um, um, also directly, sometimes directly goes to the mind as well, because we think of it as a split, but it's not oftentimes, you know, how we can be flexible in our bodies, often how we can be flexible in our, our minds. They're, they're definitely related. And as we talk more, I think why and how they're related will probably emerge. But yeah, I mean, to your earlier point um, about like the concept of ability, the idea of like, I don't think that you need to be physically flexible in order to be psychologically flexible. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I do think that there's a relationship between the two. Um, you know, we can always do more work on our physical body or more work on our mind. And there can be a crossover, but I don't think that they're, they're so rigid that they can't work independently. Absolutely. Agreed. Totally agreed. Okay. Where should we start? I, one of the things that <laughs> I um, thought was the most compelling about your work is when you begin to talk about sedentary culture. Mm -hmm. So for those that do not know, maybe we should do an introduction because I'm about to like speed on ahead yeah. <laughs> into your work. And I'm like, oh, everybody might not know you. Right. Um, 
would love for you to kind of give a summary of your work before I like go down the rabbit hole. Oh, I know. It's so, it's so broad. It started so small. Maybe I'll just explain the brief history. So I, my training, academic training is in biomechanics, which is this field about um, how levers work. You know, it's, it's how physical forces affect biological systems. So like the push and pull of your body um, affects your physical experience you know, um, and you are moving, you know, when you move your body, but the, the environment's also moving you, you know, mm. you can, we think about movement as something that is in, completely internal, you know, that skin and then below, but think about, you know, being in a chair, that chair is pushing on you. So our environment is pushing on us. So I, I started with this, um, you know, the, the concept of alignment really being, wanting people to understand that they had more physical options than they probably realized when it came to how they moved their body. You know, like, oh, everyone's taking, you know, if you can walk, you're walking, um, that walking, that we all walk exactly in the same way. And it's like, well, well, no, there's actually different ways to walk and there's different physical forces that are created through different walking and those different physical forces create different physical outcomes and you have more options, more choice. Uh, when it comes to the patterns with which we move. And that, that's so central to my heart. Like I love alignment and biomechanics in that really sort of nerdy lines and dots kind of way. But, and this will eventually get to culture. You know, I was became, when I went to graduate school for biomechanics, the first thing I asked, like we, I took this really great course, which was sort of freedom to study what you were interested in. And everyone had completely different interests, even though we were all in the same field. Um, some people were interested in athletics. Some people were interested in orthopedics, you know, cause it's all levers and how the body works. And I was interested in how is our culture influencing these movement patterns that we have? Because I was interested in cross-cultural studies, not just um, looking at movement through the lens of um, so, like so much movement is studied through the lens of university students, young university students, usually young university students in the um, athletics department, which was mostly male. So we had this, this model of understanding movement that was just really targeted to one particular group. And I was really interested in uh, the pelvis. Like I did a lot of most of my graduate work in my thesis on pelvic floor disorder and, and why low back pain was so prevalent. Like, to, and everyone was like, how obtuse, like, like what you're doing is so obscure. And I'm like, I think stunning, like baseball pitching is much more of a niche than studying, <laughs> than studying uh, 80% of the population you know, we'll pass through some back pain at their life. But it was like, you see, like, that's the cultural from the movement people. They're like, like movement, like we had textbooks that said movement is either dance or sports or athletics mm. or physical fitness. Like that was just the fact that came down. And so I'm like, oh, well, obviously there's more movement. Like, what do we call giving birth? And like, what, what category is that going like? Well, that wouldn't go in movement. That would go in like physiology. And I'm like, 
I call BS. Like that's a movement. Like there's a robusticity that we need. That's an athletic event. You know, if anyone's ever been through it, like it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's endurance and it's strength. And it just, you're, you're not launching a ball out of your vagina, but you sort of are, you know, like in I a, mean, a little bit, <laughs> yeah, you're pitching. I'm going to pitch this baby out of here, you know? And so, so like that, so I guess got interested in culture from that perspective. And then um, as my audience grew organically, just through me, you know, being me. And, and I also part of me is I have a loud voice. I, I, I say what I think needs to be said. Um, and so I was putting it out there and that would be online. You know, my voice is primarily um, online at that point and really started becoming interested in like, I'm so interested in movement at this point as more is understood about movement scientifically, academically, culturally, like I think most people would be like, yeah, I know we need to exercise, right? So the understanding of the importance of movement has spread, but the uptake has not. And then I was like, okay, now we need to understand sedentarism, which is also a study of movement. And so that's what I spent a lot of time linking, interestingly enough, back to those musculoskeletal problems the joints, why do my knees move like this? Or don't move like that. Why does my sacrum get stuck like this? We could keep talking about it from the biomechanical lens, or we could say those biomechanics are being pushed on by the culture at large. And so you have to work on both of them at the same time. Uh, this is where I love your work. Like I'm, because I come at it from the like cultural social part, I was like, Oh my God, of course, like, of course, our culture is pushing up against our bodies in very specific and very concrete ways. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it can be like, you know, kind of floaty theory, but no, it's actually real about the ways that our bodies are being changed by our culture. And so you set me up perfectly for the sedentary, sedentary culture conversation. Can you first define it and then like kind of go into what that means and what that looks like? Oh, right. So I would define, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been, like it's the sort of concept that I made up myself through my writing and, and needing to explain what it is, but it's this idea that um, it's a society that tends to keep making decisions that restrict movement. However, a lot of times those decisions, the, the lack of movement, the loss of movement is secondary to why the choice was made in the first mm. place. Meaning I don't think that there's a bunch of people going, right, we are a sedentary culture, or we value stillness and a lack of movement. It's the opposite, right? Like if you talk to most members of our shared society, they're going to say, we value movement. We value children getting the movement that they need and we want everyone to have this. But while we have the desire for it and the understanding that it's necessary, lockstep to that is the slow decision-making process on the larger scale and also on the smaller scale where movement is the thing that is stripped away and it's and it's and it's happening exponentially so to do a brief outline if we started at uh, the industrial revolution was a big big point in in a reduction of movement uh, in 
Western European culture, certainly. Um, it was this idea of like, we had people, children, you know, doing all this movement to make these things. And then um, now we're going to scale up production. And I think a lot of times these choices always have some sort of, ironically, some sort of liberation associated with them, right? We are going to mm -hmm. make it. So like, we definitely tend to, like one of our strategies for more, I'll say physical liberation tends to be the outsourcing of movement to others or to machines. Like, so it's really even challenging to see it as a negative because societally you can say, here's where an improvement was made in society, but also a loss of movement. So the industrial revolution was one, um, the computer, the age of the computer was another. And then I like to separate that from smart technology, handheld technology, radically different than mm. when the computer came on because the computer really was sort of finite in what it could do with you. Even, even when, and I'm so old now, I'm 46 just for context. So I didn't really even get the internet until my twenties, right? So for many listening, they don't know a world without the internet, but it's brand new totally brand new. And now we have handheld internet, also different. Like I had the internet in my twenties and thirties, but my life in the last 10 years has changed radically because of handheld technology. And the next generation was born into handheld technology. And then we could even separate that phenomenon, the physicality of the technology from, uh, from, the, from what's playing on it, what it's delivering. The, tech, the device itself, I think we really at this point need to start having discussions that separate the device from the content um, because those are two separate, entirely separate effects. They're different inputs. Mm. Something in my hand that causes my hand to curl around and swipe my thumb and curl my spine. That's one set of effects. That's not really depends on what, it doesn't matter what's on the screen, but then you have the input of what you are taking in in forms of entertainment and, and, and um, I, I'll say distraction. And I, I know there's a negative connotation to that. And I try to stay as non-judgmental of these things, but it's, they have direct impacts, this idea of interaction with something that's not outside of the device, you know, not outside of what's in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested if you could talk more about that piece and about the way that our focus being hijacked by the what's in the device changes our movement. Um, right. Because how I'm hearing you speak of it, I'm immediately thinking about the ways that I will say, okay, I'm going to go out to my garden to just check on things, see what's, you know, see what's growing, see what bug is eating up what now. And like, grab my <laughs> phone to see what time it is. And next thing I'm on Instagram or I'm TikTok and I'm gone. Like I'm gone for however yeah. long I've, I've fallen into the portal and then it has kind of stolen and hijacked my movement moment into the phone. Yes. Right. So that's why they are sort of tethered in, and I'll break them into two, two ways that they would affect our movement. Very simply, you could probably come up with more. I remember, you know, calling my sister and, and saying like, come outside, you know, we live pretty close. Let's meet for over here. And she's like, the phone says it's the phone says it's raining. And I was like, and it was like 
70 degrees outside sunny and I was like it's uh well my eyes <laughs> at the doorway say that it's not and she was like oh sorry I was on the wrong city right so there's this idea that anything like and like the phone is so like in move your dna which is a book that i wrote was right sort of at the beginning of everyone having smart technology and the idea of like if we talk about so our ancestral practices of like finding shelter sourcing food finding mates you know the classic fourth grade what people were doing you know a hundred thousand years ago like we all do that from our phone now and no one even bats an eye you know it's like no you you can get your meal, your groceries to show up right at your door by using your index finger. You can find a mate by swiping right or left, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's like, right? Like, you know, you, <laughs> if you're house hunting, there's, I mean, I remember long drives um, on Sunday afternoon with various elders in my community are like, we're just going to go look at property. We're just going to go look at houses, you know, like, and like you just be in the back of the car listening to the radio for four hours <laughs> or whatever. It, it, it was more of a, I mean, yes, we were in a car, but it was just more, uh, it was just bigger, right? It was, it happened bigger than a six inch screen. There was physicality of getting in and out and walking around. And now it's like, let me look at these pictures and, and, and like, it's just become it's replaced so much of what we have to do. So the only reason humans move is because they have to, you know, like that's, that, that's the way that the system is hardwired. You move because it's a physical requirement. So when you set up an entire society that gets rid of the perp, the catalyst for movement, then we're all left with, you need willpower and shame to get yourself to be able to move because that's what, because the good people will take care of their bodies. And, you know, like we have all of these, entire structure trying to deal with a, pop, a massive population around the world now that's slowly losing their movement but no one's really talking about well maybe if we looked at some of the natural catalysts for movement and restored them a little bit like gardening a little bit as you say like when you put those in there it gets us moving without having to go through the for my health or for these other, for like, because I'm supposed to, very, what we call external motivators rather than internal motivators. So that was, that's one way the device is affecting movement. The other way is what you're saying is like the, the attraction, the attraction of the experience that I can have on my phone is so much more robust and stimulating to all of my primal, parts of my brain that can't look away from certain things. And it's set up to sort of capitalize on your natural tendencies. Like you're doing exactly what anyone would expect a primate to do with a phone in their hand. Um, I have a, a, a colleague who says, you know, if you imagine taking um, another, another non-human primate and putting it in an arcade, with all the lights and the sounds, you know, like you're, you're just constantly being pulled to the next thing. And so we've sort of have a, an arcade in our hands and we call it a phone. Like that's the interesting thing is that we still call it a phone when I bet you almost nobody actually uses it as a phone anymore. We don't feel comfortable calling it a personal uh, video game vessel, television, movie, theater, um, 
any store you ever want to visit, right. uh, the back door of anyone you ever wanted to listen to. Like we don't call it that, we call it a phone. And I think that if we called it something else and you said to a nine-year-old, do you want to get your video game, television, movie, theater, you know, like, do you want to get that, like that thing? Then we would, I think we name things. We choose language on purpose, whether we use mm. it or not, like whether we realize it or not, we're choosing language that allows us to go down the path, you know, this, this path that we're on. So yeah, it's like, um, it can suck you in. I definitely, mm-hmm. I definitely don't know if you, um, read dopamine nation. I did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to black and white, um, color just to not like, I changed the screen. You can change your oh, phone smart. to um, get rid of the, the display of the full color spectrum and just have it register basically grayscale. Immediately your interest in your phone will go down. You don't have to do anything else, but that one little swipe ironically, wow. because it's not stimulating those receptors in your mind anymore. And you're like the garden full color. Yes. Go on out there. <laughs> That's so interesting because I do at night when it's like sun is down and it's time to like not have blue light in my eyes, Mm -hmm. I will change the screen to red, which interestingly enough does the same thing. Cause I'm like, I can't see nothing. Like nothing is really interesting when it's like in red and black, you know? Um, that's actually really an interesting little hack to, to do that. Wow. There was so much that you said in that while you were talking, I remembered what uh, led me down my rabbit hole into your work last year. And I think I said this before we hit record, so I'll say it again for the listeners. Last year, I got into Katie's work um, just like really intensely. I don't know. It was, I realized that I was, I had listened to The Comfort Crisis and I cannot remember who wrote that book. But I listened to The Comfort, yes, it's so good. Yeah, it was great. I, I was trying to remember his name and I can't for some, anyway, that's yeah. a good book. I'll put it in the show notes so that everyone else can like uh, click on it and like go down that rabbit hole. But I listened to The Comfort Crisis and then that's what was like, okay, it's time for me to actually go down the Katie Bowman rabbit hole because <laughs> it was like, okay, what are we doing to our movement? Um, What are we doing to our bodies? What am I doing that is not... um in alignment with ancestral needs. The first book that I read of yours was Grow Wild, interestingly enough, because I do not have kids. <laughs> I'm so glad you started with that book because that book is like everything. It's all in one. It is, and it's so simple. Like, I feel like I was like reading it and I was like dreaming about my future kids and, you know, all the dreams that I'll have for them, right? Mm-hmm. But then I was also just like, I need to be doing this stuff right now. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I would love for you to talk about your book a little bit, that one specifically, because then I went, I think I went from Grow Wild to Move Your DNA to Movement Matters, or maybe the last two were switched. Um, and then like Barefoot, one of your Barefoot books, I think there was another book after that too. <laughs> now that I've written too many books. <laughs> <laughs> You've written a lot of books. Um, but like being able to t- kind of like break down how we think about movement as going to a yoga class or doing a sport or going to the gym. But in reality, movement is almost everything that we're doing all throughout the day. Um, And how, as we shift that, it can shift our bodies. Right, so I think Move Your DNA, I really tried to, in in the simplest diagrams that I could come up with, which are just big circles, it's like, 
there's a giant category that is movement. It's anytime you change the shape of your body, you know, just picking something up, you know, uh, even, even sitting, even holding onto a tree branch, the way the bark pushes into your skin, you know, that's skin movement. It's just any sort of part or group of cells or tissue having to change shape to accommodate what's going on, that's movement. Um, and then, but when I talk about movement, when we talk about movement, people will automatically go in their mind and they have this construct of exercise because exercise has become the movement through which we, um, how, do, how do I wanna say this? Exercise is what has replaced movement, right? It's this idea that when you move your body, the effective ways of moving your body are, um, they have like clinically the definition of exercise is that it has a mode, you know, you've chosen what you're gonna do. You're gonna ride a bike, you're gonna take a class, you are going to um, take a walk, you are going to um, swim. You know, you pick the mode, you pick the duration, like how long you're gonna do it for you. And if you think about this, when you, oh yeah, I do think I'm gonna go walk for an hour. I'm gonna go walk for five miles. I'm gonna, you know, like whatever it is, you you have a, a tight grip around how it's gonna go down is a good way to say it. You, it's pre, preconceived, pre-planned, you've pre-selected, you even know the intensity with which you're going to do it, you know, like, and that's what makes something exercise. And also exercise is done for the purpose of increasing or improving your physical fitness level, your, well, your health. So it has an intention behind it. And that is one very small category of movement. And when I wrote Move Your DNA, I didn't really say much beyond that, just saying the intention of movement matters if you wanna move more, because if exercise is your entire framework or construct for moving your body, most people don't have extra time, not truly. I mean, we could all, be on the internet or watch Netflix a little less, you know, like, like there's not more time for, there's not time for more exercise. There's not like two extra hours to find another exercise class or run twice a day, you know? So you're already, that construct is already keeping you from getting more movement because you're looking for where you can fit in more exercise in um, grow wild. I, I deepened that a little bit and I've deepened it in other, other places, like other more, Uh, academic particles, which is to say, um, there's this other category too, and research is called physical activity. So physical activity would be used in public health because again, exercise, again, by definition is something that fits into leisure time. And so there's a lot of people who don't have leisure time. Um, and, And there's also people who do have leisure time, but things that are more important than their individual well-being. Not to say that everyone's individual well-being isn't important, but culturally they might not prioritize individual well-being over well-being over their family, over well-being of their community. Um, And so when you understand the cross-cultural, when you understand that there are different people, that all bodies need movement, but, but that our culture is so unique in the way that we tend to prioritize. And um, and I'm just talking like about the general United States, North American, like Western type culture, like the idea of, of, our, of our needs being met 
one at a time, like all these things are affecting why we don't move more. So physical activity, for example, there are many people, like I grew up in a community where, where most people uh, walked or rode bikes to commute um, because there was no other option. People didn't have or own cars, like they couldn't afford cars, cars were not available, driver's licenses weren't available to them. And so that's transportation. That's getting from what, like humans have gotten themselves from point A to point B. It's still a walk. It is still to get to the distance they're going home to school and back, but it's not done exclusively for the purpose of making their bodies better. It's done to be able to get to work. It's, it's done for transportation reasons. So I was trying to broaden the understanding of when you can see all the places where movement used to fit naturally, and I, I'm not, we don't have to go back to ancestral times. We can go back to 15 years ago. We can go back 30 years ago. We can go back mm. 60 years ago, right? Like my grandparents moved so much more than I moved. And it was a harder, it was a harder existence. And like, we can talk about the complexity that that brings to it, which is, it's so much easier to live a life free from labor. Labor is a category of movement that I'm talking about. And I like to talk about more, but um, yeah, like Grow Wild was the exploration of, of that concept, but really on it wasn't about labor. It was about non-exercise movement, about children, about where does movement fit for humans? And I organize it by container. You know, you've read the book. So it's like, yeah. we start with a cultural container because you're, you're inside your culture, right? like whether you like it or not, you're in it. You're, it's pressing on you, pressing on you explicitly and implicitly. Um, it's pressing on you tangibly and intangibly, right? There's these both the visible and the invisible ways that our culture moves us with rules and expectations. And then sometimes a straight up physical barrier. No, you can't walk here. People aren't allowed to walk here, right? So like there's a, there's a lot to culture and culture's not all invisible. Um, and then there's like the fact that then it's like home and education, learning, whether it's kids or yourself, like they're we're in all these containers and we simply just need to recognize that most of the containers in a sedentary culture have had the movement stripped away. And if you want more movement and it doesn't have to be more exercise movement, just make subtle changes to those containers and your body will move reflexively and in, in a way that doesn't require you. You think about your physical fitness all the time, but the symptom or the effect is more physical robusticity. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting because I was thinking about this as we're getting on our call today. And it's like, usually when I sit down to do a podcast, I'm sitting down, I'm trying to be very still the whole thing. I mean, once I like read your books and really was like, I'm, I run the podcast. I can check how right. things happen. That's right. um, and I was thinking about this particular conversation with you. I was like, oh, I'm going to have so much like, cause the cultural container that we're sitting in is very different than the cultural container that I sit in with my other guests where you have this knowledge and whatever. So like right now I just transitioned to stand at my desk. Mm -hmm. So my container of work, quote unquote, I can shift it so that I can have more movement. I'm doing the same thing that I was doing before, but now I'm standing. I'm actually standing on my um, 
rock mat got that from you (laughs) (laughs) and like you know having more movement more shift in something that I'm doing already and that's what I thought was super powerful about Grow Wild even you know though it was written for kids I highly recommend anybody even if you don't have kids to read it because it gave just very um concrete little ways that you can shift how you move doing the same things you do every day already which I think is so helpful. And that book is about joy. That book mm-hmm. is about like movement has not for most people. I mean, if you become a movement teacher, then you have found such joy in movement that you're like, I need to make this more a part of my work life. I think what people miss a lot of times about themselves as movement teachers is one of the reasons you're able to move more is because you made it your work where other people, they have to do their work and it's not movement work. And now they're struggling to fit in the exercise. So like just fitness professionals, movement professionals, movement teachers is like to recognize that not everyone is in that boat of having movement be in the non-exercise, non-leisure part. We've moved it over to work. And that's a really important thing to just, I just, just, just remember, you know, so But for many people, movement is not joyful. For many people, Mm -hmm. it invokes feelings of inadequacy, early exposure to movement in the form of like physical fitness testing, the president's fitness test. You know, if you're here in the United States, um, it was like, I was not a good mover as a kid. Um, And I I hated moving really. Like you've probably, you've probably read enough of my stuff to see that evolution that personally I have made. So I'm really speaking from a point of like, oh, I know what it's like to find movement cumbersome and difficult, joyless from a point of like really being able to center it and realize that it's the conduit to a lot of joy. And again, movement is very, um, there's a, it's, there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about ways to move, you know, um, even if parts of your body don't work. Like I'm not talking about like going out and moving your whole body. I'm talking about cracking walnuts under a tree with, you know I mean? Like movement is very, very um, robust ways that you can find something that your body can do. And so that book is about finding that the sedentary options aren't bringing us more joy. They're bringing us more stress. They're bringing us less nutrient density. So I talk about movement as nutrition in that book. And I mean it metaphorically, but also not. Like I do believe and make an argument for it being, it functioning just like any other nutrient, dietary or from the sunlight. It affects our cells in the same way. And, and because, we've, because we have gotten rid of the movement it has filled our time. Like you have to think of like, there's a nutrient density to time. If you wanted to convert your diet to your your diet, your uh, nutritional diet um, to how you dispensed calories and nutrients over the course of a day, you could look at like these periods of my day are more nutrient dense than others. You can do that with all of our needs, not just food, right? The Grow Wild really identifies and so does Movement Matters like, what are our needs, rest, uh, community, learning, movement, food, you know, like we have these needs that we all share that are t- 
tethered to our humanness. And, and when we stepped away from the movement rich ways of getting them, the nutrient density of all the other things sort of decreased. And so our lives are sort of poor in terms of nutrient density, um, including just the simple enjoyment factor. It's sort of like, oh, slog through all of this. You know, so I had to really reframe things like chores and labor as celebrations, you know, in the way that our ancestors all did, you know, like you had to, your parties and gatherings with other people were work centric. They were the celebration of your labor, the fact that you made it, the fact that you get to be here, the fact that my survival depends on your survival mm -hmm. and we're tethered together in, in that. And I, and I think that movement is such a conduit to those things because movement has always been tied to survival on the most foundational element, you know, like at the, at the base of that, of all the other um, ways we make it, the, the axis is really movement and food, movement and food are the axis for everything else. Yeah. It's so interesting the ways that as we created a culture or created a world where many of us, not all of us, but many of us don't have to um, be afraid for our survival. Like we can go to the grocery store and know that there's always going to be, well, COVID shifted some stuff for us, but you know, for the most part, you know, right. we go to the grocery store and know that there's always going to be food there. We know we can always go get put gas in our car or whatever the different things we, so many of us have homes, roofs over our heads, not all of us. Um, as we created mechanisms so that we didn't have to fight for our survival in the traditional ways, I would argue that there's other ways that we have to, we feel like we have to. Mm -hmm. um, it declined our health, our bodies, our enjoyment um, in such very tangible ways that I think a lot of, it's kind of like coming to a head right now um, in our culture. And I think about that sometimes as I'm like, my mom laughs at me because she laughs that I was a East side of Detroit girl that's now a farmer. <laughs> and, <I'm> like, <laughs> and like how, you know, I chose this hard way of being for my enjoyment because you know gardening isn't easy putting in gardens isn't easy having chickens and having to clean up after them and all the things isn't necessarily easy but there's not only so much joy but there's also so much movement and those two things really go in hand in hand together um I'm also thinking about isolation and the way that isolation changes like the isolation that has come from how we set up our culture um, changed our movement. And I feel you talk about community in your books a lot. And I would love for you to like, kind of break that down for, um, for the listeners. Well, there's two, I mean, there's two important things there. One, I think it's very important. I don't want to brush through it. We might not be able to talk about it right now, but I give a lot of interviews about this kind of stuff. And if the person who's interviewing me is a generation or two older, they're like, why would we want to do that backbreaking work? Like the idea of stepping away from it was liberation for us. Yeah. And now you're saying that I'm supposed to go back to it. Like, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't pick that up. Like I, yeah. and, and, and I understand that, but 
Uh, well, I, I understand that sentiment. And I always have this picture of my great, my great grandmother who was an immigrant to the United States and a farmer. And I have a picture of her and I thought she was 60 or 70 in this picture. And my mom's like, yeah, she's like 38. You know, like it's a hard, yeah. it's a hard life. But, and then, and then also how do you, how do you separate, hmm, how do I want to say this? How do you separate the need to walk because you don't have a car or a choice in the matter and taking that exact same walk for wellness, that mm. exact same walk, the walk is the same. And, and I read this really beautiful book on, I know that you're, if you're in sort of, sort of ancestral, there's like a large wild food component, plant identification, things like that. This book about um, wild traditional foraging and wild plants in Japan and, and how foraging used to be associated with poverty and, and like, and like no one, and if you had to do that, that culturally you were beneath everyone else. And so everyone strived mm -hmm. to get out of that position. And now, now we can see that foraging is thought of as a very privileged thing to be able to do. Um, you know, it's a, and, and so like, but the thing is the thing, the walk is the walk. The foods are the food. What are the differences in those situations? And it has a lot to do with choice. And I don't have a strong enough three-dimensional picture on it yet. So I'm staying curious and open about that. But that's a big phenomena that we're going to have to deal with, I think, sooner mm -hmm. than later is because there's a resistance when you're talking about doing things in the slower way that our grandmothers, ancestors used to do as like those behaviors that were the survival behaviors for that forever yeah. <laughs> hundreds of thousands or millions of years are now like the luxurious sort of elitist things They're, that that's the construct we're giving them and i don't know if that's going to serve us in the long run of being able to see that maybe we all need to be doing a broader share of labor, you know, and that, and that that's a way forward because I don't know the infrastructure, the labor free infrastructure is a large part of these other things we're rallying about societally and has a, and that's why I think sedentary culture is such a big thing, important thing to understand because when we're talking about the environment, the big tax is we don't really want to move. And if we can create a mega structure, to allow us to sit there and deliver every single thing, not only to our house, but to our eyeballs for us, yes. then, then there's going to be consequences to that. So I just want to set that there because that's my current passion and joy. Is I, I love that you brought that up and that you tease that apart. And I would love to keep talking about it because as you were talking, I was thinking about um, this homesteading revolution that's happening right now, mm -hmm. um, where so many people are interested in gardening. I, this really happened during COVID where everyone was interested in gardening and, you know, stores were selling out of seeds and everybody was like, oh my gosh, like nobody cared about this before. And then, you know, here we are. And I was thinking about it because um, I'm thinking about it in my cultural background, right? Being a black American, being a descendant of, <coughs> of, um, American slaves and thinking about the 
cultural trauma of being in the field, right? Certainly. Certainly. And thinking about my grandmother who um, her family, which I didn't know this until recently, actually owned the land that they lived on in Arkansas, but they were farmers, right? Like, cause that's what you did to eat back in the day. My Every, grandmother was- Everyone was a farmer. <laughs> exactly. Like that was just the end, that was the end all be all. My grandmother was born in 1927. And so, um, for her, I'm thinking about her story and how she <laughs> used to talk about how she just would pray every day. She would pray to God that God would deliver her from the fields. She was like, I just want to be out of here. And so in the Great Migration, she moved to Detroit, which is where my mother was born, where I grew up. And her whole life shifted where she wanted the frilly things, the nice furniture. She wanted the type of life that the American dream could, you know, mm -hmm. afford you. Um, because her husband, my grandfather, had a factory job. But they grew up in a very different world. And even though I, my love of gardening started from her because she kept a garden her entire life. It's interesting that kind of juxtaposition of what we now see as elitist was something completely different in a different generation into a different generation. Yeah, and I and I wonder, I, I mean, I think about, I'm always thinking about the human journey. You know, if, if maybe it'll always be sort of a phase of when you liberate yourself from something, you run to sort of run to the opposite and then you need to liberate yourself from that. And then like, that's why I feel things have a lot of flow and we are all not at this, we are not all on the same journey, you know, like, yeah. like I can't make a recommendation to humans um, or really anyone else in this culture. For me, it was time to be like, I need to move back to labor. Like I, I have had too much freedom from labor, but I recognize that there are many people we call them essential workers, <laughs> you know, who, who um, could use some liberation from the labor, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's just about recognizing me individually. And, and also I write it down because I'm like, and there might be more of you out there similar to me who might be wondering what, what could be a bomb for this. And I, have you read, I mean, you probably I feel like you've read everything. You certainly read a lot of books. Um, um, Farming Well Black by Leah Penniman. I haven't read it, but it's like there, like yeah, I've seen it a thousand times. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And Home Place. Mm -mm. Home Place is another, just, I think it's a beautiful book about um, seeing, um, seeing your roots and, and being called back to gardening, even despite, you know, despite the context of what was happening at the same time to be able to pick up the parts that do work for you and set down the parts that don't I just love those are like yearly reads for me mm. where when I because I think about labor and movement and farming and gardening in the context of the United States history with slavery for sure um and it's like that's why I don't know if I can you recommend that everyone like go out and pick up you know a rake and feel equally good about it I don't think so I don't think mm. so, but to call it and name it, I think is helpful. And then people can see like, okay, now that's been named, I can choose to pick the parts of it that 
I want to, you know, yeah. hopefully people can feel that. Um, all right. Can I, you want me to talk about community? Cause we've left that. Story. Please. Yeah. All we're right. like, <laughs> I know. I'm glad you remembered the thread. Well, I try, I try to like, I actually like touch the, the air. I'm like, all right, this is the first part of this question. Now here's the second part of this question because spatially it helps me. Um, and so community, I do think, I do think we are isolated um, and we're isolated. I think the isolation has to do with our relationship to time. Um, you know, when, when, like, I love the, the concepts of like monochronistic, polychronistic. Are you familiar with those concepts of like, it's a way of seeing time. So like monochronistic is this idea that things happen in series, one after another. Time is all out in front of you and you are, it's very similar to the concept of stacking. So it was this idea that it's food time. I, when I go to the grocery store, that's food time. And then when I go meet my friends, like that's friend time. And then when I um, go to work, that's work time. So it's, a, it's about seeing what's happening around you, your life in a long straight line um, and it often gets tethered up with this idea of pr productivity. It's often used to explain um, why some people are, are like, I have to be, I have to be there on time. Like things happening and having deadlines works well for some people. It doesn't work for other people as well. Polychronistic is the idea that multiple things are happening during a unit of time. And because you are in a community you're, there's an ecology to the way you live your life, mm. something might come up because maybe you haven't oriented yourself around the concept of time, the construct of time. You have oriented yourself around something else, like meeting the needs of everyone around you. And so the external deadline over there is something that you're considering, but it's not the only thing that you're considering. So, so this idea of adding community back in, not only during friend time or party time or celebration time. It's like we could use others sort of all the time. Again, in the same way, if we wanted to talk about like eating food, food like less processed foods and wearing more minimal shoes, doing things out of isolation in community, whether it be like one or two or seven or 12 other people, is how is a primary way that we can even meet our needs in this fast-paced society like if you had a list if you wrote down a list of everything that you needed to do and you laid it out in front of you in series it would just go a mile like it would just go to the moon mm. but when you see that when you do things with others like work parties I, I like to I, again I'm hyper focused on labor at this stage in my in my life and also my career, you know, like I'm really drilling down that concept for me experientially and cognitively. Um, community is a secret. Like community is how it works. It's not just a secret. It's how it works. Like if you think of like, you're just, you're one limb. So like how, like, how would you live your life with one limb? Could you still do it? Certainly people live their actual lives with reduced limbs all the time. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way if you can choose to bring people in and movement is a really great unifier. And I don't mean like invite everyone over for an exercise class. It's not, it's not that simple. It's more like 
everything we used to do used to be shared. And, and to the, and so like in terms of grow wild, if we're talking about children, share to the child to have all that support around them where they were almost interchangeable. Didn't matter if I showed up or you showed up for that child. Someone fully showed up for that child so that I could maybe go fully show up for harvesting the corn, (laughs) which also needs attention. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to fully show up with a massive line of things that we're supposed to show up for and we can't get them all done. And the faster we go and the more things we realize we needed this whole time, the more we fall short, the more stress we feel and the more we need to escape the reality of like, I'm not able to live my life. Like I'm not able to do it. So I will just go on Instagram because all these people look there. I can live my life very quickly. I made this, I made this for dinner. I made this, I did that short workout. I bought those pants. Um, Oh, look, I learned like, that's what they're doing. And you sort of like get to do it in the same way that we say virtual reality is like an equivalent to doing the actual thing. Like if we're going to set that up where, where virtual reality is an almost equivalent or a good replacement for doing the thing, the logical sort of follow through of that is that you are doing the things that you see on Instagram and you are placating. And, and that's why dopamine is so important. Like dopamine is your get up and go. Dopamine is what gets you out. Dopamine is why you go walk to the garden. It's, it's that feedback loop that allows you to be productive, but also it allows you to physically meet your body's needs. And when you shut it down by feeding it things that you're not actually doing, it makes it very hard to find a get up and go. I just had an aha moment about that. That makes a lot of sense. Like that I, that what happens is like we trick our brains when we go on the phone and look at the whatever it's like we're trying we're giving our our brain a a jolly rancher instead of an apple totally yeah you you, you've given the it's it's the it's the less nutrient dense version but it's enough to shut off the shut off the signal because you come with that we talked about like what makes me me the curiosity it's a way of shutting down your own curiosity uh, and we, again, this is about, we, we are limited in language now at this point. We do not have words for these phenomenons. We are shoving what's happening now into language that was created years ago when these, there were not these things to discuss. And it's very confusing when we're all using words that mean different things. Like, in the, in, it's, it's the nature of language, it's the nature of society, but but to recognize that it's a thing and to be really like, I like to always define like, what I mean by this is this so that you and I can be on the same page and like taking more time to say, and this is ironic coming from me, who's such a chatterbox, like <laughs> saying less by, by saying things more clearly. Like I spend a lot of, I, a lot of, a lot of my chatter is simply defining what it is that I'm about to say, because I think that's maybe the most essential thing that we start doing going forward. Staying in conversation is the most essential thing. Defining, defining, defining is the second most. Yeah, I love that. That makes so much sense. 
That makes so much sense. I'm like simmering on so much that you said here. I'm really interested to see where you go in your honing of your labor conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious. I mean, it's so like upon us right now, that conversation of labor and how we talk about work um, and who's doing the work and where, how we're sharing the work. Like it's such, um, I feel like it's going to be the conversation of our time in a lot of ways. Yeah. Hopefully if we can get there. I mean, if we can get there, I mean, to, to talk about labor is so tricky. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that it doesn't ever come up. The conversations tend to be around the effects of not moving, but not naming the lack of moving. Like, it's really interesting how we have such big conversations about where we are right now as, you know, both local and global communities while being completely ignorant to the elephant in the room of this is what happens when no one wants to, to, to move. And, and, and also to say the paradox of the human body is that it has a tremendous need for movement and a tremendous, I don't know if tremendous is the right word, tremendous need for movement and also like an equally strong computer system that will make sure that you don't get it if you can avoid it. Both those things are going on at the same time. You know, your, your genes not only come with the, the holes that movement fits in, it also comes with a computer program to like, and, and rest every opportunity that you can, because that made sense in environments long ago. And so as we've built this super, greenhouse as I defined it and laid out and grow wild. So we built this super, like, you can live your entire life just sort of moving from indoors to other indoors as little as possible. Um, we have, I mean, we're, we're moving everything for, I guess I'll say it this way. For a, for a society, for a global society that hardly moves at all, we move everything else. Like we figured out a way to sit still while moving every other thing around on the planet to us, but not like, not in a way that makes sense. Not even yeah. we'll bring you what's by you. No, we're going to bring you what's on the other side of the planet yeah. because you want it three times a day. You know, oh, you want it, oh, you want it 40 times a week? Great, no problem. We will, we will move that thing from the other side of the planet over to you because that's your preference. And like, that's, yeah, like pre preferences, personal preferences. And I, I mean, that's the spiritual part, right? Is working mm. on, working on our addictions and, and our addictions to getting our way and our preferences and where no substitutes could possibly do. Like that's been my individual sort of spiritual practice is, yeah. is that, is that, but it, I would say it's always related to the movement part. I'm like, man, this like, I'm really asking a lot of things shift around me you know, and maybe I can, maybe I can do some moving around others. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, I love that. I love that. I think I don't have thoughts on that yet. Cause I'm still simmering <laughs> on it. I'm actually, I'm not thinking on that. It feels that feels super interesting to think about. Uh, I think a really good exercise for me to do, but even for listeners, if you feel interested is to think about all the things that has to move for you to not 
Yeah. Like that's a, it's such a, um, you could stay sitting, writing that list for days when you think about it. I want to kind of double back a little bit to um, what you call movement snack stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I want folks who are listening to this podcast to maybe have a couple little nuggets that they can go and shift if they feel so inclined um, after listening. So can you define movement stacks, why they're important? And then maybe we can talk about some of the ways to do that. Yeah. So movement stacks are this idea of taking things you're already doing and adding, it's not so much adding movement to them. It's finding the more movement rich version of doing the thing that you are already doing. So I bring this up and show lots of different examples through the different cultural containers in Grow Wild. There's a lot of them in food because again, like I said, food is what gets people moving. Like, like that, that's your primary reason for getting up and getting out of bed. If you could have the food brought to you in bed, we would, and we do, right? So, yeah. but so like, so, so how do you pick the more, how do you find the more movement versions of things? It's, it's not that different than I think what people call the slow movement, right? Like the slow movement could also be called often like the more movement rich version of doing something. So, and then of course I, I'm in charge of celebrations. Like that's also what makes me is like, I believe that everything is a celebration um, or can be a celebration, especially when you choose to do it, you know, in a, in a celebratory way. So for the most mundane tasks, um, like making dinner, you know, like what are our options? And I, and I'm just going to put on the front, like, I know we can't do this all hundred percent of the time, because like I said, a pace of our lives has become very quickly, uh, has become very fast and it's quickly increasing. So when it comes to a holiday, for example, you're gonna make a meal to, to find the most complex version of what you are going to make or make it from scratch would be another way. Like don't just order the thing, figure out how to make it yourself. Because a lot of times one of the reasons we don't certainly is the knowledge part, but it's, it's a complicated. There's a lot of movements that go with it, right? There's a lot of cutting and chopping and grating and preparing things over a long period of time. And it's very interesting that during the pandemic, people went back to baking and doing the slower versions. They could finally do that richer version. So a movement snack stack would be, don't bite the, don't buy the pre-shredded carrots, buy the whole carrots and do, you know, a hundred arm movements yourself. <laughs> um, uh, walk to the grocery store instead of drive, or if you already take public transportation, go um, two stops shy of where you need to go so that you are still heading to the store, but you can add a little bit more movement by scaling it, you know, so putting in a transportation really helps. Um, Gardening is certainly one way. Um, And now let's, let's say you love going out for coffee or dinner with your friends like that's that would meet the need of friendship time and also a meal could you get it to go and walk you know could you 
Could you take your friendship time and add some physical element to it? Does it have to involve sitting down? So we have like in our, in my relationship, we have date hike instead of date night, right? Because we are both men. We don't really want to necessarily go sit down to connect. We can actually connect better when we're moving and we both physically got the movement too. So it's just, there's a more density to the needs that that period of time is meeting. Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting. My partner, um, I live in LA. I live in the middle of LA. And um, we wanted to go to the observatory. But you know anything about LA, the traffic is bad, the parking Mm -hmm. is awful. And so what he did was parked at the bottom of the the mountain because the observatory is in Griffith Park and it's a mountain range. And so we parked at the bottom and hiked our way up. And then we had to hike our way down. And I feel like that was like thinking about him, like he's never read any of your books, right? He just has a love for the nature and for hiking. And um, we were able to do that. And I was like, that's such a simple way to get some movement in and to have like a really lovely time together as well. And, And think of the time that you used driving and the time that you used parking, like you're getting more time out of your life. Like in the end, what you're getting is more usable time. We don't really pay attention to um, the, what's being lost in the transitions. I mean, that's another sort of monochronistic thing is as you transition between things, that's a loss. That's, that's you having to like stop meeting your need for a period of time. And that's time being dedicated to pivoting to do the other thing. And, and the, when you pick the movement rich versions, you're also oftentimes reducing the transitions. So you end up getting more time. Like, so is there a way to get more time? Yes. In, in this particular way, there is. Like you're not, you are, like what does walking get you? It you more movement, save money on gas, less emissions. Like it's also not only more, it's also less of other things. Your dates might go longer, right? Because like it just, it frees up. It's, it adds a lot more flexibility to doing everything in isolation. And by isolation, I mean like one thing at a time, one after another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and community is key. Like for everyone listening and so I'm like, I would love to do that. The secret is to find a community of people who are also interested in doing it. You need support and, and you need people on, like, to understand the concepts, to, to share, to get a sense of like, oh, this is what we're going to do. And it, it definitely helps with parenting. It also helps with work, helps with any projects that you have to do. It helps with business. I think a lot of times like this, we're not really, we're not really community centric people, right? Um, like I'm so lucky where I've lived to see these people create uh, co-ops, like workflow workspaces that are not, this person rents this one and this person rents this one, and this person rents this one and then half of them are gone most of the time and you've got this empty building half the time. And so, so now we need two buildings so that they can each sit empty part-time. And I realize there's, there's like, you know, there's problems with, well, not everyone works to work in the evening or whatever, you know, like there, there are reasons that we do that, but there are also solutions that can be found. And again, that's part of that 
it's like flex, oh, we call it like, it's just flexibility, flex seating, right? Flex seating is this thing in kids in school and offices like flexible, like a standing, sitting workstation, like you can flex based on what suits you. It means that the situation is malleable. It means that the environment can respond to your needs instead of you having to show up exactly the same way again, again, in the rigid environment. So the more flexible of, a, of these containers we can make, the more the containers can meet our needs instead of the containers dictating which needs get met and which ones don't. Yeah. And that actually brings us all the way back to the beginning when you're talking about um, like mental flexibility, like mm-hmm. having create, being creative, not being afraid to think about, is there another way to do this? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, is so useful. I mean, it feels like that's kind of where we've got to go to like save ourselves, you know, in all the ways we need saving as, as humanity um, is through creative thinking, thinking I identify as a radical and why I identify as a radical, because the definition of radical is to grab at the root, to grasp at the root. And to me, Mm that's what that is. It's it's about truly about creative thinking. It's about how do we get to the truth of a thing and like see how deep and dense we can like squeeze out of the thing. Um, yeah, it feels like your work kind of like helped round out a lot or actually just like kind of expanded what I thought about when I thought about liberation, when I thought about mm-hmm. freedom, because I often think about how the work that I do being like, how do we make anti-oppression a daily practice feels so, it is so like in your brain, so theory. Cause I went to, you know, I was in academic world and it's like so much theory. And I'm like, but how can people access that if our bodies are not free in the definition that we can define it for ourselves and in our own bodies, right? But if we don't have access to movement, we don't have access to our own health, we don't have access to a freedom of time because we're like, our labor is so wrapped up in a thing, you know, it's really hard to also access these like more complex conversations of political, social freedom, of emotional, spiritual freedom. Like we can't really get there without these other things. And your work helped me kind of like round out, like what are some of the ways we can get into that, into those practices by doing the same things that we're doing already? Mm -hmm. And having it, I think the thing with activism sometimes is the belief that it couldn't possibly be nourishing or meeting your needs, right? It's the idea of dedicating your time, attention, physicality, money, whatever it is, to a cause outside of you. And the idea is like the payoff will come when everyone's liberated. Um, Very much like the uptake of movement not happening despite knowing that it's beneficial. The challenging part is it's hard for people, I think, to 
imagine a payoff that comes so far later. Like how can you do something that's so taxing to you now for a payoff that comes in time, you wouldn't even be here. Like when the payoffs come, you know, like it takes, it, it takes a very special kind of person or, or energy of a person to spend the bulk of their life dedicating it to a payoff that they imagine is at the other end. Like we definitely celebrate those people because they are, we're in awe of them, right? Like, wow, you've yeah. given up most of the other comforts of your life to take on this, this burden. And I, and I do think that there's more people in the, the generation that's coming up. Like there'll be more people perhaps doing that where it seemed more, uh, not more radical, but it was, it was more infrequent, you know, like it, it just, it was, there were fewer of those people. Um, or, or maybe, maybe it's just now everyone can simply broadcast and so we're just picking up on the fact that maybe more people are like, I'm broadcasting what's going on. So like, I do think, like I write about movement as activism and in both, in both a briefly in Grow Wild and briefly in Movement Matters because, because again, I think that a lot of the problems that we're trying to work on stem from this labor aversion that comes naturally to us. There are more beliefs and constructs that are placed on top of that, but at the root of that, I love your pulling it up at the root, spoken like a true gardener. You gotta <laughs> get it. You gotta get it from the bottom. Like you gotta like none of this ripping the dog from the top. You gotta get your tool and get all the way down there and pull it out. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, I love that. Yeah, like talking about. Um, it's not activism in that classic sense, but it is like, let's talk about for me personally, because it's how I see it is like you, I have a really hard time. Like I get overwhelmed by all of the changes that need to happen. I get overwhelmed by all of the suffering. Yeah. I'm overwhelmed, but I also, I do not tolerate cognitive dissonance very well. So I'm like, okay, then I need to clean up my behavior. I need to clean up my behavior as much as I can. Um, and that, it relieves some of the anxiety that comes mm -hmm. with it, you know? And I, I always try to work on the micro and the macro. So I'm like, cause I also think that cleaning up your own behavior, yes, it does. It, I do think that that's an important stage, but I think at this point we need a little bit of both cleaning up our own behavior and then advocating for the broader, like, so I, that's, that's why I write so many books and <laughs> do so many podcasts. And so I am advocating in the broader, but the, the, that advocation that I'm doing is really for people to pick up some more of their own, to, to look more objectively at their own role. Right. Um, and then also like just one thing that I did says like, I'm not going to, like, I don't use social media as, as a, like, I, I don't allow, like, I don't do any of the, the work that I, like, I wouldn't, how do I want to say this? I don't use posting about the changes that I'd like to see as my work. Mm. Like I, I keep my work more active, more tangible, because I, there, I think that that's, also become an easy conduit of like, I, this, this was my version of activism. And, and, it, and I'm not saying that there's not a role for that, but 
for me personally, I'm like, oh, it would be so easy for me to say like, look what I did. I posted this thing and then not do the more tangible physical work that I truly believe is at the root of some of these things. So, so it's all of it. Like it's hard being mindful. It's hard being aware. It's hard seeing things more clearly. So I like this sort of intersection of movement that's instantly better for you. Movement and community that instantly is better for the people around you. Not, not only in the tangible physical thing, but also in the, the spiritual realm. Like we are together, like we, we are doing this. And so like, it's just a place where I really like to pull out and attract more people to movement. Like, I think I've attracted a lot of people to movement because it's not about the exercise. It's about physically moving your body for all of these systems that we're working on. You know, like it's, mu- it's so much more than your individual health. Hey, and if you're into your individual health, great, works for you too. But if you are, if you are wanting to heal more than just that, there is a way and it's really not any different than if you just wanna heal your knee for yourself. It's all about stacking. It's like, how do you find the stacks that instantly pay off for you that, that replenish you so that you can do more, right? Cause activism is draining. Mm-hmm. Activism is exhausting. And a lot of people in this need, when we need a lot of voices aren't simultaneously taking care of their well being because it's challenging. And then it fades. Like you can't, you can't That's go on. You can't go on. Like it, your, your message, your, your tool for your message is you is your body so if you're cleaning up all your other tools if you you know blow the dust off in between your keys of your computer and get a new phone every couple years like you want to have that same courtesy for your for your bigger tool absolutely absolutely ah so good um can i I just say i love this interview because it's so all the things that I really love, but you know, it's, it's not so much about like knees and hips and feet, which I love those things too, but it is nice to just have different questions. So I was sorry. so happy when you said, when you like scheduled to come on, because I was like, oh, we could have such a good conversation. It's kind mm-hmm. of ridiculous because when, as I was reading your books, I was thinking about the conversation that we could have. Mm-hmm like while I was reading it. And one thing that um, kept screaming to me um, during your book, reading your book, I was like, this work is anti-capitalist. And I don't know how you feel about that languaging, but for me, capitalism is a kind of an easy scapegoat in a lot of ways, but also just like a um, way to talk about the exploitation of labor and the ways that the exploitation of labor has um, trickled down into how we see ourselves, how we see each other, how we interact with the natural world, with with each other. And I'm like this, like talking about sedentary culture and talking about how to combat sedentary culture is deeply anti-capitalist practice, mm-hmm. like how you do it in real life. Mm-hmm. Because sedentarism makes you want to consume. 
and or requires it <laughs> or requires, requires you it. to consume. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, I think it's like, I, I, I don't, I didn't have any intention with like coming from the framework of like the stuff that I'm talking about is just the framework that makes sense to me. It's like, if you want more movement, here it is. Like it's much more of a biological argument than an economic or a political argument. And yet it sits perfectly well in the biological and economic, or sorry, the, you know, the political and economic, or however you like to parse it. Because again, like I said, in the wild, we're all sitting inside of a nature container. Like whether you like it or not, like there's a nature container and then there's the culture container. And we are all sort of bound by these universal things that are, that are happening. And so I have heard that before, you know, this idea of like, yes, it's about moving more in this particular way is, is usually a form of minimalism. Like, mm -hmm. like it's, it's about minimalism. And it's, but it's not, I think that it's all about the approach. You know, it's like, do you go in and say, all right, everybody, you'd be healthier if you just stopped buying stuff and got rid of a bunch of your stuff. Some people would be like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? I love all my things that I have. But if you actually drilled them down to physical, you know, the experience of it, you would probably hear like, well, I would like to go do this, but I'm sort of stuck because all these other things that I like, I have to work. To, we're working for our stuff. We're working for yes. our homes. And maybe those things nourish you. And maybe they don't as much as you think. So I, I also like a characteristic of me is like, I'm not, I'm not really like a go out and try to change people's mind kind of person. I'm more like, I am open to anyone who wants to come and pick up what I'm putting down. Like that's just, that's also this is all about me, like, and, and what, what I'm all about, your first question, but I, I do recognize that is like, I'm just not, like, I'm a very forceful, clear on my understanding of things person, but I'm not, I don't go to your house and tell you what you, like, that's just not me, but, um, but I do think that a lot of what I'm talking about is again, the solution to a lot of other issues that people are working on. I mean, we are hyper, we are hyper consumers. And I don't know enough about economics to know the distinction. Like, the, I think there's more distinction there between capitalism and consumerism, but I'm not an economist, so I don't really know. My big thing is we are harvesting a lot of Earth's stuff and we are using a lot of Earth's people who are not in our immediate realm where you can see or that are right there and you still don't see them to continue to be movement free. Um, and then also like another thing is to watch, like I tend to work, um, a lot of my interests are more in public health. And one of the reasons the exercise, a, a lot of people who are struggling with movement are not listening to this podcast or really any podcast, right? They're working, you know, a lot of the time. And so, and they're laborers. So that, that's another distinction is like, 
how do we clarify how do we clarify that I'm choosing to highlight the non-movers when I use the term sedentary culture instead of saying like I don't know what the other word for it is the sedentary culture is what works for the people that I'm talking to who are listening mm -hmm. you know who are like you're right everyone is sitting down it's like well actually not everyone, not everyone. and maybe not even most like that's the other thing is like I don't even know if we're naming sedentary culture by volume because if we go out to simply the smartphone devices and the horrific slavery and mining conditions around what it takes for all of that, it's a lot of people. And, and so like, again, we're sort of at the naming things by what the, the small experience is. So like, I'm trying to choose how to speak because I am speaking to the people, I'm not only speaking to the people who are sedentary because I tend to do a whole I have a lot of interest in do work with those who are the laborers who could benefit from that earlier alignment stuff that I was talking about. It's like, well, even though you're active all day and then clarifying for people in medical and public health, it's like, we have to watch the exercise message because the person coming to the physician who did physical work for eight hours. And that could be, you know, like that could be physical labor. Like, again, I grew up in, um, an agricultural community where most of the labor was migrant labor, people coming in and out. And so sort of immersed in, in seeing like physical activity, what it looked like all day long to tell that person they need to do exercise to fix their back. You know, like that message doesn't even, it's not, it's not complete instead of saying, well, we have a, an issue here with the people who are active is they're repetitively active. Their movement diet is still off in the same way that the sedentary person movement diet is off. And so if we can just go to the baseline of like, what are the movement nutrients that we need? Then we can see how some people might need to be moving more overall. And some people might need to be moving less or redistributing their movement in a way that was better distributed and gave some parts rest. But that's not how efficiency has come to be understood. Efficiency is you get one person to push the button with their right hand because if they just do that same task over and over again, it's faster. One person just pushes their left foot button. And like we've, we see efficiency in a very, um, we put a very narrow circle around the situation and labeled it efficient or not. And a lot of our efficiency has to do with people are dispensable, right? Like if I, and then, and then sometimes, sometimes companies will say, well, it's actually not, it's more expensive to have to replace or to heal people. So now we care about ergonomics and right. right? And, and so like, so it is always through that um, industrialized perspective of efficiency that obviously isn't holistic or seeing the person's value in those models outside of production. And, but I don't know, like, it's like a corporation. It's not a person. It's just a, it's like a system that we sort of subscribe to. And there's certainly been a movement to subscribe to it less, or maybe, maybe the balance is that we are taught to see ourselves as more than someone who is to 
simply produce something. And that work is, you know, like, and that work can be on us and it can be on allo parents, anyone creating a space for a child to say, you know, like our questions even around kids, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? It's like, what am I, am I not now? Like, what am I not now? Like, you know what I mean? Like our whole language really is about like someday you will be whole and productive and that will be your place. And, and I think that the structure that we're in, we're in, like one of the reasons it has so much importance in our life, I feel like I'm standing here sort of like in this prayer position, like that's what my body wanted to do. Um, one of the reasons I think it has such importance in our life is because we have lost any other traditional or cultural practices that told us what we are or, or told us that we were more. So as that's been slowly stripped away, the one unifying thing for everyone is no, you belong to this structure. And again, the structure is invisible. It's definitely leaving a mark. Oh, it's yeah. leaving destruction in its wake. But I don't, I don't know if there's like a taking it down as much as there is a building up the things around it. So it fades in importance. Mm, I think yeah. it's all at once. <laughs> but like, well, well that, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's all at once. I think it's like, cause I often think about with my work, I'm like, I'm not so much the activist that's out like on the front lines. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's like tearing down. Right. Um, I am the like builder, mm -hmm. um, thinking yeah. about like what you just said about, you know, seeing ourselves as more than the cog in the wheel that mm -hmm. helps the thing move. Right. But like seeing myself as fully human, like that's my work. Like quite yeah. literally I create programming around, like, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, but I think that that's so deeply important and like taking back the word productive too. Right. Yeah. Like not productive. That means I've got like every day is booked out for whatever, whatever, but productive in a communal, more tribal sense, community sense of like, what can I create for the whole, mm -hmm. you know, like, how can I make sure all of our needs are getting met? Like that's productive. Like that's truly nourishing productive. That's baseline productive. Yeah. Like pe people are not sleeping. They're not eating. They're not moving. They're not socializing, but they are still productive. And it's like you, all you named was all the non-human part. Like you didn't get any of the, you didn't do any, anything over here except for this other piece. Like you that, sent your emails, you did the thing, you know, you did your diagrams and your spreadsheets or whatever it might right. be. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's not sustainable. Yeah. It's not ecological. Yeah. It's not holistic. Right. And it's, it's just, it can't go on much longer and it's already failing. Like it's all of those, all of that is happening, but it is nice to go, well, where, what, what, as things break down and shift, I still think it's important to be like, but what can, what can I do? I mean, it sounds like that's the work that you're offering is like, well, now that I'm not this, how do I strengthen my other muscles? How do I strengthen all of the other parts of me that have not had it, that have been, it's so much easier to meet your work 
than it is to meet the other things, especially Absolutely. in the way that this environment is is set up with now. Absolutely. And the tools are out there. You just have to to do them is very challenging because because again, like I I don't think that like I think that our trajectory in this direction is quite natural given the environment that we're building. So how do we stop building the environment? Like how do you create the or instead of like to do a positive? How do you create the environment that meets your needs better? And like that, like how do you get, I, I listened to a very good interview with an engineer who said humans, they've just, they give problems to, I shouldn't say humans, I should say engineers. They give problems to other engineers and other thinkers of solving usually structural issues. And when they have things that are imbalanced or not working, almost every time, that person will choose to add to the existing to solve the problem. And then when something else fails, they add a little bit more. And it was no one's inclination to remove, to put things back in balance. And I think at this point, what do I remove? Like, uh, instead of having a to-do list, to have an undo list, mm. you know? Like, or at least for every, to-do list, there is a bouncing and undo list. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm closing down this chapter of my offering. I'm closing these accounts. I'm getting rid of the five emails that I have that I've opened the last 20 years, but don't use like we, we have to start undoing. And that is very liberating. Yes. Undoing is very liberating. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I think we're going to stop there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because can we really do more? I feel like at this point we have to not. So for real, for real. Oh my gosh. So before I ask my last question, um, tell people where they can find you, how they can find your work and engage with you. Nutritiousmovement.com is my website. And I do the, the social media that I do the most is Instagram. And I use that really just to drop little lessons, stacks, images of stacks, things to consider that will help you get moving. Um, and then from there, you know, you can find any book or audio book or the pod, there's a podcast that you can listen to move your DNA. That's named after one of my books. And after that, you can find me outside walking around. Great. <laughs> and I highly recommend you might fall down the Katie Bowman rabbit hole as I have. <laughs> um, and then my last question is just what is lighting you up right now? Gosh, besides these lights in here, um, what's lighting me up right now? Um, what's lighting me up right now is our family is moving into a, a small home, like not quite a tiny home, but a little bit. And, 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 Playing with less is more, not in a theoretical way to maximize less is coming out of my pores right now. I love that. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me. Thank you for, for asking me. It was lovely to meet and talk with you. Hmm, what did you think, dear ones? I 
love, love, love being able to talk to the amazing guests that I get to have on this podcast. And I love being able to share with you. So please, if you are not already, follow us on Instagram at Let's Get Naked and keep the conversation going. We'd love to know what your thoughts, your feelings, your responses are to this podcast. So please keep this conversation going. Please share the conversation so that we can get into more ears and spread the gospel of liberation further and deeper. And then also just subscribe to this podcast so that you can, one, support us and keep doing this work and getting us again to more ears. And then also so that you'll always know when our episodes come out. And with that, I will leave you until next time, my love. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Much love to you.